0: Blog Talk Radio
1: If uh, one would uh, open up such truth as the truth of God uh, to the people, I do think that he's within his right to stay out of the sight of the people until he has... uh, one, everything to himself, as the Bible referred to, us to it like this, that uh, he's something like a king looking uh, for a kingdom, and that he go and he uh, visit the, the people, and then he leaves the people and goes away and waits until the time, when that he can secure the kingdom. Then he returns to the people that uh, he had made himself uh, manifest so I think that is a pretty good uh, answer. Well, uh, I wouldn't do anything without consulting my crystal, but let's uh, go inside here. We'll uh, come along, I'll show you. right here. sit down here. That's it. <laughs> this, uh, this is the same genuine, magic, authentic crystal used by the priests of Isis and Osiris in the days of the pharaohs of Egypt in which
2: Cleopatra first saw the approach of Julius Caesar and Mark Anthony and then, and so on and so on. Now, uh, you, uh, you'd better close your eyes,
1: my child, for a moment in order to be better in tune with the infinite.
0: It's frustrating when you just can't express yourself and it's hard to trust enough to untrust yourself Stand exposed and expose the nature. In a world full of hatred, where the sick thoughts of mankind control all the sacred I pause, take a step back, record all the setbacks Fast forward towards the stars in the jetpack My feet might fail me, my heart might ail me the Synagogues of Satan might accuse and jail me Strip crown nail me, brimstone hail me They might defeat the flesh, but they could never ever kill me They might feel the music, but could never ever feel me to the lawyers, to the sheriffs, to the judges, to the debt holders and lawmakers. Fuck you, sue me, bill me. That name on that birth certificate, that ain't the real me. The lies can't conceal me. The sunrise and the moon tides and the sky's gonna reveal me. My brain pours water out, my tin ducks to heal me. My law is too beneficent. The message grab a hold to every ear and get whispered in. The waters in the bayous of New Orleans still glistening. The universe is listening. Be careful what you say in the my grandma told me Every bed a nigga make He lay in it The church you go to pray in it The work is on the outside Staring out the windows Is for love songs And house blind. I got
1: something to say I, I got something to say Yesterday Yesterday is on
2: in England, or Ireland, where you see the Protestants and the Catholics fighting, I guarantee you that the Protestant members members will be representing their people and protecting them. I guarantee you that the Catholic priests will be representing the Catholics and protecting them. If I take you into the Middle East with the Arabs, I guarantee you Khomeini will be taking care of Arabs. Only in America can I find black ministers who can be bought and sold to be against their own people. Nobody else will let you do that. No no population will tolerate that except our people. And that's what I call it inappropriate behavior. Inappropriate behavior, Pattern, when you let your own minister sell you out, it's not in your best interest. What I mean by sell you out is because by the early 1800s, the whites said, well, we're going to have black ministers. We've got to have to christen them to make sure they do what we want to have done. They must teach Christianity the way we want it taught. So, where it is an external control device on black folks? They what are the rules? One, that every minister we license must teach black folks, If you talk about the slave and the master in the Bible, that you're talking about the white man and the black man on earth. Two, you must teach black, the minister must teach black folks that they are to be loyal, faithful, obedient, respectful, and all those other good things and honest, so the white people don't have to worry about them stealing as a slave. You know, black slaves had a nasty habit of going around stealing scraps of food because they were starving to death. They would tell them, they must be industrial. Which, see, white folks want you to work a little harder. So they use the term, he's a lazy slave. Now, anybody in the right mind got more than a third-grade education But say, why would a slave want to be industrial?
1: <laughs>
2: why would you want to work hard as a slave? What's in it for you? Are you going to get released early? Are you going to get a pension? <laughs> Social Security or retirement? But he always got this thing about, why wow, he's a lazy slave. I even got a black writer right about that day. Well, part of the problem is the blacks were lazy slaves. He should have been lazy. The third thing they put on you is that, well, the black ministers must also teach them to get pie in the sky after death. going to turn their world upside down. So while everybody else is competing to get resources, to get wealth, to get power, black folks are saying, I'm waiting for mine in the sky. They said, well, the role model would be Jesus Christ. Said, yes, uh, Jesus Christ and all the Jews were very powerful people, had money, Solomon was the richest man on earth. You go look at Matthew, I think Matthew 23, when they start talking about the talents but different slaves had talents and two of them went out and developed their talents and multiplied and made something and one buried and hid his so they knew that would be that black one be that last one go out and hide it yeah, y'all understand what i'm talking about now but during that period of time though in the 1800s when all this they started putting all the ridges on them to start controlling them A few blacks said, well, wait a minute now, because something just happened down in Haiti. Now, I know that I I can guess in the future, y'all aren't going to let the Haitians into this country, but in the 1800s, what happened was Tucson Overture. Tucson Overture took his little band of rabble blacks in Haiti and beat the devil out of all the French troops. Beat the random raggedy. Beat the devil out of them. Now, that was important because for two reasons. First of all, that is the only time in Western history where the white society blinked and black folks took advantage of them and beat them. Y'all remember that. Only time in history that, that blacks ever broke free of that conditioning system I told you in 1710, the same one they used again in uh, World War, in the Korean War. And again, the reason I want to point out that system to you, that, that brainwashing system, why is it so important? Y'all remember this. and why is it so important? And that's why I must give the dominant white society praise for this. I mean, they are some very smart people. Very smart. Why did I say that? They're Because, you see, the people that put that system on black folk in 1710, they had the equivalent of a third or fourth grade education. And here we are today, 250 years later, or 200-some years later, almost 300, and black folk with doctor's degrees and masters who came figured it out. Now, but little Tucson Overture down in Haiti, he won his battle, beat him good. Now, that mess, when he beat him, though, they finally tricked him and said, well, now that we are, that you've beaten us, wouldn't you like to come together and integrate? He went to discuss it with them at a meeting. They captured him, put him on a boat, and shipped him to uh, someplace in in Europe, uh, some country we have in, the, in the Iceland, when was, I think Finland or some place, and it froze him to death up there in the prison because he went, went to co-op. And I told you in career, in a career, and the brainwashing techniques, there's another principle that says that any time you want to control anybody, I can control anybody who's willing to talk and compromise and discuss with me. I can get him to compromise. And see, what we should, what I was told you was called a, call, a call of code of conduct in Korea, which says never, never talk to your enemy unless it's on your turf and your terms. And see, right now, what, I, what I'm a assistant, assistant police commissioner, I'm working as a therapist for, for prisoners. Anytime I get somebody to communicate and talk to me, I got it. If he'll speak to me and answer my questions, I got it. Sooner or later, he's going to break down and tell me what I want to what know. The way you resist it. You don't communicate. You don't compromise your principle. They can never beat you then. And see, and that's how they got to overture. They asked him, don't you want some integration? Like so I told our leaders, the same thing. Now, there were some other blacks who jumped up and said, I'm not going to go for that, okey-doke. One of the first ones in 1800 was uh, was Gabriel Foster. Gabriel was an extremely smart black guy. He said, I just heard about what Toussaint Overture did down in the island. And said, if Toussaint can do it, I'm going to do it here. He said, I'm going to do the same thing. And he did some planning, and you couldn't believe. He worked, he planned, he schemed. Toussaint, well, I mean, uh, I mean, a uh, prophet, really worked on his thing. And he planned one of the most devastatingly, strategically well planned insurrections on earth. But before I tell you what he did, let me go back and make this point. I tracked between 1710 and 1860, and we had a possible 150 to 200 possible slavery votes. And in all 150 to 200 of them, a black person squealed in every one of them, and got his meritorious manumission and his Willie Lynch badge card. And so when Foster was trying to pull his together, he planned his scheme. And when the day he was told to have his big revolt, would you believe one of the most severe storms that had ever hit Virginia came in and washed out most of his land and roads his bridges, and Foster's group couldn't get together at the gathering point, because they were planning on hitting three things. They were planning on taking over the penitentiary in Richmond. they were planning on taking over the armory and they plan on attacking the town and annihilating the town, everybody except the Methodists and the Quakers, who would be friendly them. And the storm struck just as they were going to assemble, and only 300 showed up in Providence said, well, since only 300 of us here, let's put it off until next week when the land is dry and clear. And within three days, a black person squealed. Fossil was arrested, along with 35 of his supporters, they were executed, hanging heads, chopped off, and put on poles. But the two blacks that did the squealing, one was called Tom, the other was called Farrell. And I don't know, God knows it, because I don't know, why is the name of a black person Tom? You almost guess he's going to do something.
1: <laughs> now, I don't
2: know, and I don't mean to put down anybody your named Tom, but I don't know something about that name. And Pharaoh itself is not too much of an exciting name. I wouldn't trust that name either. If somebody my mother named me Pharaoh, I know I'm in a world of trouble too. But anyway, Tom and Pharaoh turned in Prosser. They they executed Prosser, chopped his head off, and hung him up on, on poles. But the thing that, that that became very important in that case, though, was that the town was really fearful because they found out some rumors. That Plaza had lined up somewhere between five and 50,000 slaves. The whites all through Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, was paralyzed. Their mouths fell open. Their eyes, popped. They said, oh, something is wrong. You mean tell me we put a conditioning system on black folk where we turn everything upside down? And this black, this black guy was able to do the impossible without an education? Something is wrong with our system. What's wrong? And I'm serious. This was a big issue. They had to find out how this one black guy get together as a slave and have something between five and 50,000 blacks ready to fight and had not been for a storm they'd have taken over the country. And finally came out to another rumor, speculation, that what it was was that he had beat the symbolism. To show you how important symbols are, that's why I keep telling them about power numics. To get out of your system, sometimes you're lost. You look up at a mountain, you look up at a peak, you look for the Penobscot building or the Empire State Building. you find your symbol, you can find your direction and what that black gun pla had done he looked at the state seal. The state of Virginia had a seal where it had a white man lying prostrate and a black man's foot on his chest the white and the black got called and in the seal it said vertical overcomes Tyrannus. and that black man had used that seal. And his motivating force, his guiding life for his people. And when whites found that out immediately they changed the Virginia seal and said, get rid of that seal fast <laughs> and put up guards around the Capitol to make sure it didn't happen again. And that was in that was in eighteen hundred. By eighteen twenty one another black named V C got equally as concerned. he had heard about it. he said he's gonna try it in South Carolina try another revolt. But V.C. says up front, V.C. organized his group. He walked around. He was a free black. He got free because he bought his own, paid, his, paid $600 and freed himself. He won money in a lottery. But he's very upset because he couldn't buy his children out of slavery. So V.C. would walk through the town in, in, in Charleston, South Carolina, telling black folk, get that hump out of your back. Straighten up. Be respectful. Take care of your own people. Look out for your own people. Quit trying to worry about everybody. Look out for yourselves. And V.C. was very, he was a big man too, a big broad man. He said, I'll break your back if I catch you bending over. And he planned an insurrection. And he called some like about three to 500 together to take over Charleston, South Carolina. But he told him up front, he said, let me tell you all something. He says, I catch one black in this group, trying to get meritorious manumission, he's going to snap your neck like a twig. And he planned a revolt. And unfortunately, again, two days before his revolt was supposed to not only was he squealed on once, he was squealed on twice. So V.C. was picked up along with about 37 of his people and hung because again, they sold him out. Then by 1831, Nat Turner, you already know about, tried the same thing a few years later in that Nat Turner says that I'm not even going to go through those changes. I'm not going to do what VC did. I'm not going to do what Proctor did. I'm not even going to play that silly game. He said, well, I'm you What I'm going to do? He said, I'm going to break out of here. I'm getting me a knife, gun, sword, stick, tools, bricks, anything I can get. I'm killing anything I see that moves, falls, jump, walks, and talks. That's exactly what I'm I'm quoting him. He said, I'm the the rod and staff of God. I'm not playing these silly games. I'm tired. And so so Turner started walking, saying he was a sword and the voice of God, he said, I'm going to kill anything I see moving. He killed 55 people, including his own master. And then the country got petrified again and sent the the army in looking for him. They searched for for that Turner for two months and couldn't find him. He hid out he killed so many people. Until one day he needed food and went down to get some some, some blacks to get some food. And guess what happened? Turned him in. And so that took care of Nat Turner. Same time as one other black, though, which is my hero. How much time I got? How much? As long as I want. Okay. (laughs) Okay, thank you. You see, you all are so nice. That's why I love coming to this city. Boy, I swear. I love you. I, I, I'm going to move out here pretty soon. Um, but, but my hero is John Horst. We start talking about inappropriate behavior versus appropriate behavior. Now, here's a black man at the same time period display what I call appropriate behavior. No Rodney King stuff, you see? John Horse was a runaway slave who also ran off to South, the south uh, to Florida in the early 1800s. In the same period when V.C. And, and Turner and the rest of them were trying to revolt, John Horse was a big, burly, strong black man. He ran off to Florida. Contrary to what you hear all the time in, the, in you know in the media about the Underground Railroad, all blacks trying to get north, get to the get to the Promised Land. That's part of that myth. Most blacks weren't that dumb. Why would they want to go all the way across, the no- go to the north, a thousand miles through a hostile white country, when they could run off to Florida, which is Spanish territory, twenty miles away or two feet away? <laughs> so some of the smarter blacks of our relatives ran off to Florida because that was Spanish territory, they got out and they in the interbred and intermixed with the Seminoles. Now you all might ask me why about Seminoles. Now Seminoles were also against blacks, a lot of them, but a lot of them were not. Seminoles were the most receptive blacks, receptive Indians to do anything with blacks in the country. Why? Because you see, the word Seminole means runaway slave. Okay? And they were also runaways, they interbred with blacks. They were a mixture of blacks. So they were very receptive to black folks. And so they started fighting in that area to fight the United States because the United States they didn't want to go down there and try to get the slaves back. back. And they sent, that's what they were sending General. Andrew Jackson, to Florida for to get the slaves. Because, you see, blacks down there were coming across the border periodically with the Indians, raiding and killing whites and getting their people free. Now, why is that important? Because, you see, when I talked about early inappropriate behavior in Africa, the reason they enslaved black folk originally was because our leaders in Africa had given the impression that I don't care about other black folk. And they hauled all those blacks around the world because they knew in their hearts they would never see a shipload of Africans coming to get them back. They never expected that Africans would come to save Africans. But that's why they didn't try to enslave Indians because they knew if they'd enslave Indians, Indians would come get their people. But they knew that black leadership in Africa had already said, you can have them, I don't want them, I won't come to get them. And so when the blacks went off in 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 the Florida, they were coming across the border, raiding those those, those plantations along with Alabama and the Georgia border there, South Carolina border, taking their people, sending it, taking them back to South I mean down to Florida, getting them free. Uh, but John Horse was a leading hero to me. Now this black hooked he became sort of like the uh, the second in charge in Africa. I mean in uh, in uh, Florida, the chief at that time in during the 1820s, and 1830s was uh, a chief named Osceola. Osceola had about three sons that were very active, also fighting uh, white intrusion into 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 Florida to get the slaves back. His number one son was, uh, uh, was a white, uh, I mean a mixture of black and white. His name was uh, Wildcat. And Osceola himself, if you all don't know it, Osceola was married to a black woman. You might see Ola's pictures in all the museums as an in Indian. They will never tell you that he was married to a black woman and had a mixed group. And he married him to a black woman. Married, his black woman's name was Morning Dew. If you're interested in knowing it, Morning Dew was the one, and that's what triggered some of wars. They don't tell you that in history books either. So going back and forth down there, they were trying to uh, trying to get the Indians back. I mean, trying to get the slaves back from the Indians. And uh, and they kept sending the, the, the federal troops in there. And Andrew Jackson was one of one of the primary generals that always wanted to go out there and fight Indians. He loved to fight Indians. He's known as the Indian fighter. And that's why you have Jacksonville, Florida, because he was going in there, again, fighting Indians and try, trying to get blacks back. And, and on the Chattahoochee River, right outside Tallahassee, they had a fort there called Fort Negro, where most of the blacks were living, staying there. And they sent the federal troops down there to to, to get the, the slaves back. Then the uh, the federal boat came up the Chattahoochee River to Fort Negro, and most of the blacks were out with the Indians raiding, fighting, and, uh, and left the women and kids there. And so the troops, uh, the federal troops fired on Fort Negro. One shot, and a shot rolled into the uh, into the armory, and set off the explosion, and blew up the entire fort. And there was nothing in there but black women and children. And that and that really made them hostile. The blacks were hostile this time. So now, they, so so then they, that that triggered the second Seminole War. After that, uh, they decided to have a truce. They said, we have a truth, if we can we sit down with Osola with, with and, and his warriors, John Horst and the rest of them. And at that point in time, they met. Uh, before they met, they went and kidnapped Morning Dew and told Osceola uh, that if you want your wife back, you better turn some of those black slaves loose and meet with us. And when Arceola went to the meeting to, uh, to discuss getting his wife back, they kidnapped him and put him in prison. I think up in Fort Sumter, South Carolina, he died of consumption and exposure. And uh, so at that point in time, John Horse and and Wildcat went berserk, and they started fighting. They fought all the way throughout Florida, and finally ran them out of Florida. They went out west and led some of, the, some of the, that whole movement called the Trail of Tears all the way out to Oklahoma Territory. And uh, but the only people who fighting in this country against the United States at that time was was John Horse and Wildcat and his band of blacks. They had their own women and kids with them. That is the only black man in the history of this nation, and I'm sorry to say there's no school teaches that. That's the only black man in America that's ever stood up to America and fought, it and fought them, and not as a slave, but as a man. Nobody else has ever done it. <clears throat> John Horst fought the, United, fought the United States for 50 years. They fought him all out west. They chased him all down through the west, through Oklahoma through Texas, and finally chased him into Mexico. He went into Mexico and stayed there for, for about five or six years and came back again, he in Wildcat. They tried to set up their little village again, but the whites out there, the racists kept kept raiding their, raiding their camp, shooting them and killing them. He kept fighting, and they finally killed Wildcat, shot him in the back with a shotgun gun and killed him. And then the John Horse finally just gave up and got on his horse allegedly and just rolled off back into Mexico. You never heard from him again. But he fought for 50 years. The only black man. You can talk about any civil rights as you want to. If you had a hero, that's the only hero we ever had that fought and says, "I am not a slave and I won't take it. I'm not Rodney King. or Anybody else?" And so, but it, and they found nobody ever knew what knew what happened to him. But he rode off. That was John Horse. Now, the uh, now this whole Meritorious Manumission Policy is in effect, moving along at the same time. This control system about 1852. A lady named Harriet B. Stover began to want to write about it. So she then wrote about the whole thing. She interviewed a guy whose name uh, was Henson, which you all would know as Uncle Tom. He then told about the story. She wrote a book called Uncle Tom's Cabin. But in that book, contrary to what most people think, Uncle Tom was not the bad guy. The bad guy was Sambo. And so I'm asking you all, as my brothers and sisters, please in the future don't call a black guy who you know is worthless and priceless, don't call him an Uncle Tom, that's complimenting him. That's a Sambo. Any black person, <laughs> any black person sells his own people out and, and, and will do them in, he is a Sambo. Now what is a Sambo, again, going back to Meritor's Manumission 1710, the whole conditioning process the whole brainwashing system, the whole social engineering system says that you must teach black people to see eyes, see the world through the eyes of whites. You must see everything through their eyes. You must their superiority, whatever they think and feel, and that way you are, we got you contained. And that's why when you see somebody like Colin Powell, out running for office, they say, well, you can run for office if you see the things the way we want to see them. If you want to be conservative, you can run for office. If you want to place a lot of importance on abortion, you can run for office. If you want to talk about being anti-tax,es you can run for office. Which means that if you see things the way we see them as a black person, you're safe. You're acceptable. And if you don't want to do it that way, then become an athlete or an entertainer. So therefore, don't you identify the rest of those blacks in the country? You stay away from them. They're bad. And you start going out and You try to go get a try to go get a penny out of an athlete and entertain to do something for the black community. They're going to do it. Their advisors won't let them do it. The agents won't do it. The promotion people won't let them do it. They're going to identify with you. They have now already died and gone to heaven. <laughs> okay, so <clears throat> so, when, so when Harriet Beach Stowe put out her book, what she tried to tell black folk is that Uncle Tom was not a bad guy. See, Uncle Tom, if you read that book, and most blacks, 90% of blacks never read it. They always call another black, he's an Uncle Tom, he's an Uncle Tom, he's not an Uncle Tom. If you read the book, Uncle Tom. Uncle Tom was a guy who would not beat black women. Uncle Tom in that book was a, was a guy who would not beat other blacks to make them pick more cotton. Uncle Tom was a guy who would come in at night and take cotton out of his own bag and put it in other black folks' bags so they wouldn't get whippings at night. Uncle Tom was a guy who would not tell where black folk were hiding when they went across the river and they broke free as slaves. But but Simon Le the white slave master, had a black to follow him around named Sambo, who always says, You show me, give me the right. I'll show you how to treat the coons. I'll show you where they hide. And see, and that's the guy. See, his whole responsibility is going back to meritorious manumission. I told you about what you got to protect white folks' property, protect their wealth. He says, I will protect it and find it for you. You read in any in of the, in the movies and books that came out after Uncle Tom. You always had a black guy, a black slave, was running down the road saying, Master, Master, here comes the army. Let's hide our silver and gold. And you all said, Our? How did it get to be Our?
1: <laughs>
2: you know, he always wants to say something that doesn't even belong to him. And that showed up all through history. And today you got the same kind of personality doing it. And now he's not saying, let's hide our silver and gold. He's called himself a conservative. I'm also against affirmative action for black folk. I'm against quotas. I'm against preference of treatment. Even he had one running around, somebody, he want to pass the law to stop black folk from discriminating against whites. You still got that kind of personality. that always wants to protect something, protect the strong. You always get that kind of sambo personality, and nowadays, the best way to get rich is to say, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna practice that masters, gold and silver, and I'm gonna be against them black folks." I guarantee I can get you a radio talk show. I get you a television show. I can even get you an appointment to the Supreme Court. <laughs> tell me how many black folks you want to sell out, I guarantee I'll show you how to make money. Because you see, every ethnic group, every religious group, every racial group, every political group has always made money off of black folks. Okay? And what I'm going to start talking about in power numbers when I come back here in the fall is to show you all one thing. I'm going to tell you it's time is up. You have made, as a race, you made every religion, every ethnic group, every racial group rich. There is nobody else left on earth to make rich but yourselves. to do it for ourselves now. So don't give me this stuff about Dr. Anderson. Well, that that that—that's reverse discrimination. We 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 are we're, we're anti—you ain't anti nobody. You already made everybody rich.
1: <laughs> now
2: we're talking about well, uh, with Dr. Anderson, uh, what you're preaching is isn't that a isn't that a, a segregation? Or let me tell y'all something. Starting again back in 1850, blacks got hung up on that same mess. You know, by 1850, after after uh, uh, Harriet B. Stowe put out her book, here comes Frederick Douglass. He's going to take one path. He's going to go back now and try to pick up becoming an integrationist. He becomes an integrationist, taking that he wants. Well, since they excluded us in 1638, saying we should never be permitted to enjoy the fruits of white society, let's be integrationists and civil rights people. Let's make them let us in. So they started, from, they started that top strand called integration, which will run Frederick Douglass, um, uh, Booker T. Washington, then up to all your, all your civil rights leaders and Martin Luther King and that whole group all the way down the line to even your present day civil rights group. They keep saying, we want access to whatever you own. We want to be included in whatever you own. Now you got another group that started after, after, after the book with uh, Harry B. Stover. They said they want to be segregationists. Then you got the more strongly willed persons like W.B. Du Bois. Then you got uh, Martin Delaney. You got Marcus Garvey. Uh, Then you got Malcolm X and Elijah Muhammad. They were going the other way saying, no, we want our separate stuff. Now, what I say by myself, and I know a lot of people might get upset when I say it, both groups were right and both groups were wrong. What I say is that it is not about integration. It is not, the issue is not segregation. The issue is congregation. It means aggregating. What it is is called functional pluralism, which means we are not trying to integrate, we're not trying to segregate. No other group comes here and says, I want to integrate and segregate. What they're saying is that if I come together and concentrate as a people, concentrate my power and my wealth and my resources I can compete that's what they're talking about and please as I love all of you on my move you with you don't let them trick you all anymore with them upside-down glasses they they asked me that doing integration about dr. Anderson now hold it now you in you at the governor office in Florida you represent the whole state in education now what do you want doing integration do you want you got Malcolm X talking about segregation. You got Martin Luther King talking about integration. Why don't you all make up your mind? Which do you want? I said, I don't want either one. I want the same rights and privileges everybody else got to go to either one of the sticks. Don't try to put me on one end of the stick. What I want more than anything else is to bring my people together and say, get all the power and wealth together like everybody else. And that way, no, quit trying to give us, try to define us. You see, every Asian, for instance, when he leaves his homeland, and comes to America. He looks in the mirror and says, I'm going to America. When I get to America, I'm going to find me a community of people that either look like me or I'm going to build me a community of people that look like me, that have my values, my culture, and my language. Nobody asks him about integration or segregation. When Hispanics come to this country, they will say, I'm going in, I'm going to build me a community. Of people that look like me or sound like me, and like the Asians who set up little Havanas—I mean, who set up uh, little Cambodias, little Vietnam, Chinatowns in every city. The, the Hispanics come in, they build little Mexicos, little Havanas, little Hialeys. I can go across America and find German towns, French towns, Greek towns, Polish towns, but I can't find a Black town. because of our inappropriate behavior pattern with the Rodnick, we keep trying to integrate. Nobody else is trying to integrate. Why would you try to integrate? And I just told you in 1790 the law says in the Constitution that the majority will win and the minority will lose. If the majority will win and the minority will lose, why would you ever do anything that breaks yourself into smaller pieces when you already a plan systematically program the minority? Now you got other people in a category called minority. You got women, gay, anything you want. Midgets, Hispanics, anything you want. (laughs) But nobody goes by there and says how many you can have. You've heard anybody say we can only have so many women in the country or so many midgets in the country or so many gay in the country or so many uh, Asians. The only thing they say you must have is so many blacks. We are the only people. And see when we, and another thing you gotta understand, I told you last month I was here, is that you gotta remember that you are the only non immigrants in America. The only non immigrants. So when you start using a word for yourself, always call yourself a non immigrant. Don't call yourself anything else other than that. Don't call yourself a minority. And to some degree, if you really wanna be slick, I would even call myself an African American. Why not? I asked a girl, one girl in Texas, she said, I know that you never call yourself an African-American. She said, I'm very, I said, why "Why is that? I said, because I'm black, you see? She said, but why, are you still an African-American? I said, no. Because, you see, when I go look at the definition of African-American, the whole north part of Africa is a continent. That's not a country, that's a continent. People come in from El Salvador, and they are Salvadorians. When you say you from Africa. I'm an Africa. Where in Africa?
1: <laughs>
2: Do y'all you understand know what I'm saying? Where in Africa? And plus that, and worse than that, is that the whole north part of Africa. Those coming to the country, they're Arabs, Palestinians, Chaldeans, Egyptians. They're classified. Those are whites coming in, but they call. They also call themselves African Americans. When I go down through different parts of the west coast of Africa, I got people coming in from, from west coast coast of Africa. They are Pakistanis and Indians, East Indians. But they call themselves African Americans. When I go down to people, whites coming in from South Africa, they call themselves African Americans. And what they've done again is smother the issue over. So when I go look at it, when I go break it over, it's like cracking open an egg. Like when I look inside the word minority, I look inside of African Americans. I found the number of blacks that came into the country last year out of 26,000 African-Americans. I only find something like 4,000 blacks. And that's why they're going to put the moves on you again. What they want to do is cover it up again so you can't figure out what's happening to black folks. a so new term, they're going to say, well, we buried a lot of them on the minority, that concept. We buried a lot of them under the term African-American. Now let's come up with another term called multicultural and uh and asia or asia or something where nobody knows what they are anymore and see if we bury them see nobody know what the conditions are for them anymore they can't figure it out either and see that way that way we lock in the structural inequities if racism slavery and jim crowism made whites 50-foot giants and your problem is that whites got this much you got that much if you bury everything and smothered over you never figure it out you all gonna to have to fight from now on to make sure that it's only black. Every issue is black, so you can find out what's happening to your people. They're gonna to try to bury it because white's not got a choice. Either either correct the structural inequities or hide it, and it's much cheaper to hide it. And one of the easiest way of hiding it is to co op your leadership, to pay off the black leadership, and bring them inside the circle, and they're not gonna make issues over anything. Instead of functioning on your, as I said, your problem is the structural inequities. The structural inequities are so bad in America; and they have been so bad since slavery that I don't. That civil rights and integration can't even reach black folks they are so badly damaged and hurt. And I don't know why the black keeps running around talking about we want civil rights and equality. You can't get equality if you're unequal, unless again they put those glasses on you and turn them upside down, <laughs> and all of a sudden you begin to see unequal as being equal. The worst kind of racism is the racism that pretends that unequals are equals. And that's what they've done to you. They got this whole new concept called a colorblind society. And what colorblind society means is let's be blind to black folks, pretend we don't see them. <laughs> and they're, they're hiding and smothering it again for you. And that's what it means. Now, where did that come from? It came from some of the white civil rights think tanks out of Washington. After the civil rights movement, what they wanted to do. Let's, say, let's bury the issue with black folks. And they gave our civil rights leaders a chance after civil rights movement to made the difference. They didn't take it. Our black leadership displayed inappropriate behavior coming out of the civil rights movement. Throughout the civil rights movement, when they should have been focusing on the race, the, the, the real issue, they didn't do it. Instead of f- focusing on correcting the historical damage that had been inflicted on black folks, they started messing around with civil rights and integration and never touched the problem ran all over the country, thinking that by taking down the signs over the water fountains or the bathrooms about colored only or black only, that they were dealing with racism. They didn't even touch racism. Racism was three stories down. Getting a black folk to sit in in a white restaurant or sit on the front of a bus has no meaning at all. The second thing they did was they never, never had a plan. They ran all over the country from one demonstration, one march to the next one, never had a national plan about what they're going to do when they get there and what the next generation of blacks are going to do. And thirdly, never built an institution to carry out a national plan. And when they did that, whites then changed their policy on blacks. They figured out black folk had discipline inappropriate behavior and missed the boat. So what they did then, they said, let's put the moves on them. Johnson then brought a law saying, you got to correct the conditions of black folks in 1965, what's called the affirmative action bill. When that came out, they put the moves on us to smother the issue again. Affirmative action was supposed to have been intended to correct those structural inequities between blacks and whites that have occurred as a direct result of all those years of things I'm talking about. As soon as the bill came out,